I'm still the director of the games. I still have my, I'm still director of training also. I still had that, that responsibility to conduct it. Um, I still have a lot of freedom to conduct it the way that I see, uh, the, the way that I want it, the direction that I want that event to go. I was still in a very good place. This is episode number 131 with Dave Castro. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. In this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with director of the CrossFit Games, Dave Castro. Now, this is Dave's second time on the podcast, and if you didn't catch our previous conversation way back in episode 29, I highly recommend going back to listen after this episode for some additional context and insight into Dave's background, especially his time as a Navy SEAL from 1998 to 2010. Dave has been doing CrossFit since the very early days in 2005 at the original CrossFit HQ affiliate in Santa Cruz, California, and he's been involved with CrossFit seminars since that time as well, now serving as co-director of CrossFit training alongside Nicole Carroll. Dave has directed the CrossFit Games since their very first year in 2007 when they were held at his family's ranch in Aromas, California. And since that time, we've seen the games evolve. They've moved from Aromas to Carson, California, and now to Madison, Wisconsin. The format and the qualification process has evolved as well over the years, but some of the biggest and most abrupt changes to the CrossFit Games season have occurred last season, leading into the 2019 CrossFit Games. I was very excited to sit down with Dave, considering that we haven't heard much from him publicly over these past few years and about these changes in particular. We spent a lot of time here talking about the transitions that have happened more recently and how his professional and personal life have changed as a result. We also did dive into some other topics, including why he holds himself and others to such high standards, some of his hobbies outside of CrossFit, and even a little bit about his family, which he rarely talks about. I hope you enjoy this conversation and that you'll stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks, which will be a very special one for me and will include a big announcement that has been a few years in the making. Before we get started today, this is also a reminder that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started with the episode. Well, welcome back to Pursuing Health. Thanks, Julie. I'm Happy really to be here. excited. It's been, I was just looking, our last episode that we recorded together was May 2016, which was almost four years ago. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Lots changed since then. <laughs> a lot has changed since then. So that was just beginning the 2016 regional season. Yep. And then we had the 10th anniversary of the games. We had the move to Madison. You wrote a book. I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, and then obviously last year we had a lot of huge changes to the format of the games. Yep. Um, so I thought maybe we could start off with just how does your life look different this year than it did back in 2016? Wow. 2016 compared to 2020, even 2019, so much has changed for me professionally and personally. One of the big things that happened, um, during that the last couple of years, I made a move. I moved from San Diego, Southern California, back up to NorCal near here, about 40 minutes away from Scotts Valley. Took the whole family, came up here, and uh, 
for me, it was kind of coming full circle, returning home. I left, I left, I left this area in '97 when I enlisted in the Navy, and I always knew somehow or at some point I would come back. And after a few years in the military, I figured it would be after retiring, after doing 20 years in the military, I figured I'd make my way back up here. Obviously, I didn't retire from the Navy. I ended up doing 12 years and uh, just got out because of my job with CrossFit. Well, when I got out in 2010, I settled and stayed in San Diego for the next uh, almost eight years. And probably around 2015, 16, I started looking for um, houses and areas up here that I could return to because my father was in poor health. Um, Around that time, my mom had passed away and, you know, my brother's up here with his family. And I figured, you know, a lot of the things I'm into and a lot of things I like to do are up here. So I looked for a few years and finally I found a place that I felt we could, uh, we could make the move to. And Three or four days before the so nineteen eight before the CrossFit the eighteen two thousand eighteen CrossFit Games, we moved up here. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I moved my whole family <laughs> up, and then like two or three days after we, you know, he hadn't even unpacked. I left to go to Madison oh my gosh. for the games. Interestingly, funny story there. Um, there's this little, not shed, but this little structure on our property on our new house, and it was. Now it's my sewing room, but okay. then it was uh, very dirty and a lot of cobwebs and like it was used as their storage area. And I was trying to clean it up in one of the days or two that I was still there before I left to Madison. Well, I didn't know it, but some sort of big spider had dropped from the oh. ceiling and bit me. Oh no! And so when I got to Madison for the games, I got really sick in 18 Uh-oh. and uh, I had this huge welt on my back and it turned black and Doc Ray had to prescribe me all this strong medication. And one of the nights before I got prescribed the medication, I woke up just covered in sweat, couldn't sleep. And I'm like, this is not a good way to go (laughs) in the games to go into the games. Wow. So that was, that was one of the big changes. And for me, that was, um, super grounding because then after that, in that time frame, there was, there was a lot of changes and soup for me, I've been, uh, it's been incredibly rewarding and I'm very happy being back up here. The family's adjusting. Okay. It's <laughs> but, a little different. Uh, for me, yeah, it's a little <laughs> different for them. But for me, uh, this is a way better place for me to be. Better lifestyle, better routine. Feels than, like home. Feels like home. Is home. I go to the ranch. I go to the ranch. I don't live on the ranch. Some people think I do. My brother still lives there. I grew up on the ranch, but I go there every day now, two or three times a day, depending on what I have going on. And uh, so it's, it's, been, it's been good. That's really cool. Um, you said family's still adjusting. You don't talk much about your family, and that's intentional. Very intentional. Yeah. I, I talk about it a little in my book, actually. Yeah. And um, I don't – I keep them out of the limelight because it's not a, I don't think it's a healthy place to be or a healthy place to put my family. I see the attacks I get online and I see the stuff that people say about me and I don't ever want to have to deal with anybody saying anything about my family. And, you know, I see, I said this in the book, this line almost exactly, you know, you see Rich Froning or Jason's kids. I could see them in the street. We could go to Starbucks right now and I'd be able to recognize their children. And I don't know how, how, safe and responsible that is. I don't want that to happen to my children. 
I'm not even comfortable. I don't even like getting recognized as much as I do out in public. Yeah. The last thing I want is that to happen to my, my children or my wife to be out in public and they're recognized because cause I post them on my social media. You know, I have several hundred thousand followers. It doesn't mean I have several, several hundred thousand friends. Right. I am <laughs> acutely aware that uh, most of those people following me aren't even my friends. And that's okay. Right. And, you know, like um, that's how I view social media and that's how I view that number. Those aren't fans. Those are just people. And I don't want, they don't have access to that side of me and nor should they. And that's, that's my private life. And I like to keep that separate. They're, I have to keep it separate. So do your kids, like, I remember being young and being, being like, Oh, what does your dad do for work? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. He just works on the computer all day. <laughs> like, do they have any idea what you do or, or do they care? <laughs> yes. And it's starting to get, um, interesting in terms of one of my daughters is in high school okay and like a lot of the other kids know yeah and like know I have a big following and know you know who I am and so they so she's my teenager is very aware of it and um my 10 year old recently came home and asked uh my daughter or my mom my mom my wife (laughs) if uh if daddy's famous because people talk about me at school and so it is getting to that stage they're getting old enough yeah yeah you have to address it. Does your family do CrossFit or do they have any um, like connection to? My wife CrossFit? does, okay. and she's been doing CrossFit for a very long time. Um, my children don't. I've tried to get, tried to get them to do CrossFit, but they're not uh, they're not into it yet. Okay. My oldest has talked about doing it. Hopefully, she eventually will. I think they both will. It's just such a part of the household that I think they they they'll do it when they're ready. It was the same with my wife. I tried getting her to do it years ago with me when I was first doing it. And it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. She yeah, had to find you can't it on. Force it. <laughs> yeah, she had to find it on her own, and yeah. she has. And she she uh, she goes to a gym. She trains, um, and that was one of the adjustment points when we lived in Carlsbad in San Diego. We were you know a couple minutes away from the gym. Right now, out where we live, we're out in the hills, kind of, and she's 15, 20 minutes away from her local gym. Mm-hmm. So that's harder. Yep. And to adjust, even just switching gyms or switching communities is always hard. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so. Some of these changes, obviously, a lot has changed, changed, like you said, for you personally with the move. Um, A lot of these changes came as a big surprise for much of the CrossFit community, or it seemed very abrupt or very sudden um, changes to the qualification process, the switch in the dot-com, and this focus on CrossFit health. How did you, how was that whole process for you? Like, how did you find out about the changes? What was your role in in all this transition there was a lot of discussion going on there was a lot of talk we knew you know some of our team we knew a lot of this stuff was coming um some of it was announced very quickly you know and that was just it's just the nature of of some of this stuff and change it was uh it was a trying time especially seeing you know a lot of these people uh being let go and as far as the changes to the format and the changes to the actual system um that doesn't really like that didn't bother me too much because if you paid attention closely to the games throughout its history, we were constantly changing and tweaking and modifying and, and change I believe is good. This, uh, this came quickly. This came with not a lot of, um, let's say of, of all the changes made to the games, some of these I didn't influence as much as I have in the past and yeah. that's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I don't, um, I, I'm, I'm a good worker and also a good leader so I can be I can be a good worker be and follow orders well that comes from uh, especially from my time in the military so as quickly as they happened it was still um, you know here it is here's what you got to do 
move forward with it and, and make it happen. And if you're me, when I say you, and if you're unhappy, find something else to do. If you can be happy with it and content and you still want to do this, keep doing it. And, and I was fine with it. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I put it in perspective too. a lot of people were like, a lot of people reached out and um, how do you feel? What do you think of all this stuff going on? How's it? And I was like, well, I deployed to Afghanistan four or five times and I deployed to Iraq and I've had people shooting at me and I've been in much worse situations than, uh, than anything <laughs> this. like this. So this is, this is all fine. Right. And as fast as it happened, it's actually really slow compared to, I say that statement in terms of comparing it to what I used to do where things happen so fast and life or death situations uh, were determined by quick decisions. And so all this stuff as quickly as it was going down was slow to me. A lot of time to process, a lot of time to work through, a lot of time to figure out. It's all relative, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, how did it look, like you said, the the game's team obviously changed a lot in that period of time. And you said it was hard to see some people go. How, you know, I, I talked to you before on the podcast. I've talked to Justin Berg and about how, how the game's team was functioning at that time in the like 2016 to 2018 time period where we had this very well-oiled machine yeah so how did how did the game's team change or how did it look different last year from years past well the core games team is is much smaller we have a a smaller staff and the big the big um let's say group that's gone is the media team we don't have a big games media team we don't other than that the core group running it and the core group running it on site at the games looks very similar it's it's uh, a lot of the operations people, a lot of the people who were were not involved in media, didn't go away, and some that did are contracted back at the games to run the games. The games for me felt the same. They, that whole process feels the same. It's um, not much has changed there, even though a ton has changed there. A lot has changed, but for me personally, I, I don't view even with the larger numbers and everything. Right. It's still. Um, it's still the task at hand and it's still what I need to work on, what I need to do. And it just, it feels, feels the same. Um, with, you sort of touched on this earlier, but with any change, obviously there's positives and negatives. What do you think are some of the big positives that came out of everything that changed last year? And then what are some of the big challenges, I guess, that you faced from the changes? Uh, some of the big positives are just, you know, uh, again, I think, People are resistant to change, and I think people being more tolerant and accepting of change <laughs> is a good thing, and yeah. I think this forced all of us to learn how to yeah. deal with, and people who weren't prepared for it, people in the community, staff, um, athletes, hey, this is life. Right. You're going to get handed things you don't like to deal with and change you don't want to deal with, and so um, it was all a good lesson in, in life for, for so many of us, and um, that's a positive from it. You said, I want to just touch on that. You said, obviously you had a lot of experience with this and much more life and death situations from your time in the Navy, but how do you go about processing that? Like for the average person, change is hard. So how do you, in your mind, obviously at first there's probably a lot of different emotions going around, but how did you process it and then come to this, this, um, you know, place where you're like, this is okay. This is life. We're going to move forward. I'm still the director of the games. I still have my, I'm still director of training also. I still had that, that responsibility to conduct it. Um, I still have a lot of freedom to conduct it the way that I see, uh, the, the way that I want it, the direction that I want that event to go. I was still in a very good place. I didn't get fired. You know, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have it taken away from me. Yeah. 
to that to that degree. So I was really like, okay, it's just, hey, this is the direction. This is what they want. I'm going to work with it. Yeah. I'm going to make it happen. And, uh, and being sort of grateful, it sounds like too, like looking at the positives. These are all the, I have, yeah, I have a great opportunity. Look, and the other thing is, um, I I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, you know what? Greg Glassman saved my life. And, and as I want to articulate what I mean by that, I got out of the military at 12 years to work full time for CrossFit from 2006 to 2010. I was working for CrossFit 2007, 2010, and I was active duty Navy. I was teaching uh, buds in Coronado. And then it came to a point where I had to re-enlist and uh, I had to re-enlist. I could stay in and not work for CrossFit anymore because if I chose to stay in, I would go uh, deploy again. I'd go operational or I could get out and work full time for CrossFit. CrossFit provide provides provided much better for me and my family than the Navy could. I loved what I did in the Navy. So I chose to get out because of the opportunity and um, work full time for CrossFit. I believe if I would have stayed in, I truly believe this and it might be ridiculous. I wouldn't be here today. If I would have stayed for another and people always say, Hey, eight years, that's, that's not a long time. Why didn't you stay and retire? Just do your 20. A lot can happen in in our line of work with what I did. Eight years is eight lifetimes. And I've seen, I've had a lot of friends. I know a lot of people who've uh, passed away, who've been killed in combat, who've died because of combat related things, who, who, um, who are different after being deployed so many times. And the thing is, that's, that's all I would do. If I stayed in, I would go back and I would throw myself as full as I could into uh, deploying and going out there and doing what we do. And I just, I just don't know if, and it sounds ridiculous, but it's what I feel. I just don't think I'd be here. I don't think because of the way I was and how, how, um, how much I trained for it and cared about it and wanted to do it, even like I do with the games, I throw myself into right. this stuff and, and I'm really passionate about it. I was that way about that. And, um, so that's why I say he saved my life. He gave me an opportunity to continue to contribute in another way and to have a, a a good, secure life and job while leaving that behind. And I loved that. And that was so important. So, so all, I take all that into perspective, you know? So, so with all these changes, I'm like, Hey, I'm in a great position. I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore, which again, though, I say that, but I loved that. Um, and I also think that would have been that would have been a bad path to go down. Um, okay. So sorry, I interrupted you halfway. So no, that, those fine. are some of the, the, um, positives, I guess that came out of the change, but what are, what have been some of the biggest challenges for you with some of the changes that have happened over the last year? Hmm. Let's talk more about positives. Okay. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> One of the big positives Another big positive is, you know, not doing open announcements and yeah. not going to the regionals <laughs> has been a huge weight off my shoulders. Yes. I don't have to, uh, you know, if that's five weekends or five weeks of open announcements, three or four weeks of regionals. It's nine, ten weeks of traveling just for for events. And it's been very nice not having to do all of that, all yeah. of that travel. You know, I, I for with the open announcements and, and the open. I knew personally and professionally within the next year or two, I was going to pull myself entirely out of that. 
it was uh, accelerated and not necessarily by my choice, which I would have rather had control of how that went down. Sure. Whatever. And again, it's just like, okay, deal with it. But the thing is, so that's why it wasn't too big of a deal to me. Those close to me know I was already really past that. Like, okay, I'm going to stop doing these. I'm, they're a lot of work. They were, you know, they're fun, but... Um, it's draining. It's it's draining, and it also isn't the, it isn't what I wanted to continue. I didn't want to go that route of always announcing those workouts. So um, that was coming anyways. Again, it just happened not on my timeline, which, you know, I like to be in control of things, and sometimes you're not, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah, that's life. <laughs> and so... Um, yeah, so now not having and not going to regionals because those don't exist is, is also been great. I'm able to focus on the open. I'm able to focus on the games. I'm able to focus on training. A lot of, you know, people only think I work the games. It's, you know, because you work in the training department on the level one team. I also, with Nicole Carroll, co-direct the um, training of CrossFit. So that keeps me busy. And that's, that's the true 365 day right. job that I have with CrossFit. That's how I started. I started doing training before I was doing the games. Um, and let alone, you know, just traveling for those events. But I imagine the planning and the, oh, the yeah. programming for the regionals. The now you don't have to worry about all of those things. What has it been like for you to, I know you intentionally don't necessarily go watch any of the sanctionals, but what has it been like for you to kind of peripherally see now all of these other groups trying to sort of recreate the regionals in their own way i don't watch any of them i don't pay attention to the programming of any of them and i don't really know what's going on with any of them okay it is not and i won't travel to any of them (laughs) with my time time is precious everyone's time is your time my time anyone's is and how you prioritize it and what you do with that is uh is very special and I don't, I am not going to go to any of these events that I'm not responsible for or running as a fan or as a spectator, or if it's not my idea, my idea of fun is not going to a CrossFit event. Um, I have a major CrossFit event that I run and that I'm responsible for. And I put a lot of energy and time into that. It's, it's uh, very consuming and that's great. And that's the only one I want to be involved with these others. If here's the thing, if this format was created to where we were responsible for every single one and overseeing them, sure. You'd be seeing me go to them because it's something I'm in charge of. And it's something I need to make sure is functioning the way I'd like to see it go, but that's not the system. And so I don't go to any of them. I don't pay attention. So on social media, on my main account, I don't follow anybody. And so it's easy not to see that stuff. Some stuff is hard, uh, and I don't ever watch any of them. So whenever we stream them, I'm never tuning in. I'm never looking at anybody else's programming. The extent of what I know about the programming of some of these events, um, you know, the biathlon that Rogue did, that was very uh, noisy, I'll say. Not noisy, but it was out there, and yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, people talking about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I heard about that. So I know they did that. I don't know what format they did. I don't know how they did it. You know, I've had people ask me if I'd help them with uh, – their programming, uh, most I just say no to straight up. Josh Josh Bridges asked me for a little help with the, um, I guess it was the Rogue, the Rogue one. one. Yeah, I didn't end up, we didn't end up taking that any further. Rich asked me to help with his. He actually sent me workouts to uh, to look through and go through. And uh, I looked at them and I didn't look at them. I looked at them and I said, I'm not doing this. And it's just not like, programming for me is really, 
time consuming and hard and it's not as simple as saying yeah that's a cool that's a cool test let's run with it rich it's funny because i was texting with him and so i blew him off months ago he would send me his events his proposed events like five six months in advance good on him for being so prepared in (laughs) advance and i was like i'm not doing i was in my mind i was like i'm not doing this and i didn't bother responding to him we actually texted last night and he said, I asked him how his event went. He said, good, I think. And I, he said, did you look at any of the workouts? And I just said, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, and here's one of the reasons why I don't. A, I talk about the time and how consuming all that stuff is. And B, I don't look at any of this stuff without a critical eye. I don't look at, I don't go to any of these events without uh, thinking about how to make them better, how to do this, how this should be run. I've been running these events for now 12 years and so I have developed uh, a view of these things, a, a way I think they should be done and how things should be moving that is, uh, I don't want to go to an event, look at an event, look at someone's programming and just instantly be critical of it and instantly have something to say because that's what will happen and that's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. And interestingly enough, even pre all these train changes, I never went to um, other events. I didn't travel ever for you know, Wadapalooza or uh, Granite Games or some of the other big events that were going on pre these changes. I ended up going, I'd go to local events when I was in San Diego. I ended up going to OC Throwdown was probably the biggest event that I ever went to. And even when I went there, I didn't watch the event. I went, you know, um, gave support to the event director um, and then left. And that's what I do to the small competitions too. Even to this day, if there's small competitions around, I try to go to them and show a little support and then then take off, but I don't stay and watch, watch the events. So I truthfully don't like know much about their programming or much about what they do. I, I do have people ask some questions about programming. Right. Um, my biggest recommendation with the programming is, especially at this stage, just keep it basic, keep it core. I think, you know, there's going to be this race to the top of everyone trying to outdo each other and trying to be um, gimmicky and trying to do the next best thing. And it's really all you got to do is constantly varied functional movements at high intensity and just keep it foundational and pure CrossFit. Ultimately, they're a qualifier for the games and um, they should view themselves as a qualification step to the games. And some some might not think that's the way they want to view themselves and that's fine, but um, you want to get the fittest people to the games. Right. So obviously, you know, you don't have direct oversight over these events, but they are a qualification to the games. And so what role does CrossFit play in, in, you know, dictating, okay, who's, who's going to be a sanctioned event, which will act as a qualifier. And then how do we make sure that they're getting quote unquote, the right people to the games? We have a team, a small team that um, decides on which events are going to be actually accepted into uh, our list of sanctioned events. And uh, then at that point, like in terms of who they qualify to the game and who makes it, we're very hands off and, and by design. And, you know, it's not um, – there's going to be one of these events one day where where a bunch of um, – I don't want to say low level, but not the best athletes show up and someone qualifies who's much lower level than all the others, all the other real uh, core uh, – Yes, Elite the people that you athlete. would expect. Yes, people exactly. Top of the open leaderboard, yeah. Because they whole, but it doesn't matter to yeah. me. It, it, whatever, especially with this new country championship thing, where all these other people of varying abilities are able to make it to the games. Someone squeaking through a sanctioned event to, uh, 
I say squeaking through. Yeah. Someone making it through a sanction event that isn't at the level of like uh, the top guys is not a big deal because the country championship kind of levels that all out anyways, the country champions. That makes sense. How about like the the judging at those events? I know there's always a lot of talk about that. Like you obviously have very professional judges at the games and when you did regionals, you did same thing there. But at these events, obviously they have say over how they're going to approach judging and and the qualifications that the judges have or the training that they have. Um, is that also just completely left up to them? About yeah, how it's completely gonna... left up to them. And I think mm-hmm. at this stage there's enough uh, community strength yes. in that pool of judging and, and talent out there that we've developed over the years and other events have developed that I'd like to think that I'd like to think judging is not an issue at these events, but truthfully, I don't know. Like yeah. I really don't pay attention at all um, to that. And, you know, uh, I haven't been, I've had a few people email me and DM me and complain about things and normally about stuff like that, but I don't see it on this huge, large scale. And maybe right. it is an issue. Yeah. Maybe it is something that, that I'm not aware of. And at this point, I'm not involved, so I'm not going to get involved. I think it's an interesting, um, what you just said, though, was interesting, that now it seems like just looking at the qualification process as a whole, it's obviously very different. And the previous open to regionals to games process, like we were getting, you know, a very core group of people to the games who are all very close in their ability levels. And yep. now we've really opened the, the playing field. So there's a lot more people at the games, a lot wider range of ability you can qualify through the open even without having like a, a hands-on event or a live event um you have the the country champions who are coming in at, at various levels so what's your perspective on you know what is the role it sounds like the role of, is not necessarily to get the top 150 people or whoever to the games but it still is to find the fittest or to find the top three fittest like well, how do you so, so far that? with this format the, i don't think we're leaving out the fittest in the world, which is good. If we, if in all these changes, the fittest um, athletes weren't making it to the games, there'd be something wrong with it. But because the of the multiple avenues of qualification to get there, if you're really fit and you're in the top mix of guys or women um, competitors, you are going to be able to make it. Yeah. Top 20 in the open. I mean, arguably, the games could be just the top 20 in the open, and that you're gonna, you're not leaving anybody out. You, we can maybe, argue that maybe all day. Maybe not leaving out podium finishers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're if you're one of the best, fittest athletes in the world, you have plenty of you should be at the games. You can be at the games. Plenty of opportunities. Is your goal for the games? What is your goal for the games? Is it to find the t- the fittest? Is it to find to get the top five people in the right order? Like how, no, how do no, you approach it? No, it's the fittest. It? I just view it as okay. We're gonna test and find the the number one spot, and and we're gonna um, challenge them, and we're gonna push them, and we're gonna make sure that the individual that stands on the podium is the fittest alive. And interestingly enough, um, you look at our past two male champions, and even you can say this now with Tia, they're both um, they're both so dominant and so well-rounded they are what we're looking for if every year someone different was winning and you know one year chris spieler won and one year tommy hackenbrook won you're seeing you're gonna see it's uh something's wrong with the programming or something's up with how it's going down and i did that example because there's such extremes in body types but the the gentleman winning matt and rich 
they both won multiple years in a row. Um, they're both similar in size. And the thing is, when they when you have the same people winning over and over, geez, you can even say that for the female side. It's not a programming. It's not they, they got lucky with the programming. No, right. it's because they're so fit and they're so well-rounded. They don't have any chinks. I've said this before, too. And when someone says, oh, well, the programming at this event didn't favor me. If you have to say that, you're not completely prepared. You're not the fittest. You're not well-rounded. You, you, never, see, you never see Rich or Matt complain about the programming because right. wherever they go whatever it is they're gonna thrive and they're gonna do well because they are prepared for whatever is thrown at them that's so true and i think that's the difference between like a champion the the fittest and even you know the next i don't know top 10 or top for 20. sure for like, sure the, those numbers can definitely sway one way or the other depending on the programming but it's true the fittest are always going to find their way to the top yep exactly Sure. And that's what we're looking for. We're not looking to highlight the strongest. We're not looking to highlight the fastest. We're looking to highlight the most well-rounded athlete. Um, some of the other things I've noticed. So now, obviously, you can qualify through the Open. I've noticed a, it seems like a bigger push or some more effort towards drug testing. Um, I think you just posted the other day about the latest mm-hmm. you know, person who's been disqualified from due to drug test, a failed drug test. And then also um, being a little bit harder on the video reviews. Um, is that... The drug testing, I don't feel like we're going harder. We've always had a really aggressive program. Yeah. The, the way this format works now, there's just a lot more events and a lot more opportunities for testing um, because we don't have the events. So we have to send people to these other events. We have to send our testing groups to these other events to, uh, to test people. I don't feel like it's expanded or bigger. It's, we've always had a wide blanket. We've always tested a lot. Now, here's the thing. Testing a lot is all relative because there's hundreds of thousands of people doing this. Yeah. So do we test tens of thousands? No. Do we test several thousand? No, but we test a lot of people. Yeah. And we have to, you know what? Our testing is targeted. It has to be, meaning like we have to test the best people. We have to test people who we get notified, hey, maybe you should test this person. So um, we get that all the time. And oftentimes someone will say, hey, you should maybe test this pe- person. We just don't instantly test them. We'll do our own research. We'll look at things and then um, then we'll have them tested. Is our system perfect? Absolutely not. But none of the systems are perfect. Right. And, and, you know, we um, we put a lot into it. We work really hard at it and we want it to be clean. Will it ever? The top, the the winners are definitely clean. Are there people there at the games that are not clean? For sure. And, uh, but we're trying to make sure everyone there is clean. And with the video reviews too, I think we've seen um, maybe harsher penalties than yeah, in years past. Yeah. Um, is that just a reflection of the fact that now people can qualify through the open and so we need to be reviewing everyone with a little bit more scrutiny exactly and you know since since the open is a direct path to the games now we have to we had to tighten that up a little more and and really make sure the standards and the what people are doing are what we wanted the open is hard to run it's it, really it, the open is, i mean it's amazing there's nothing else like it right? yeah it's really hard and um making the workouts and then everything that happens after that to include the judging the reviewing of videos. A lot of people are involved in that. I don't watch any of the videos, um, <laughs> but we have a team and we have a lot of people who, who do that. But it's a lot of work. A lot goes into it. A lot, lot of uh, action behind the scenes with the Open. It's just there's the team here, Justin Berg, Curtis Bowler, and those guys are doing a ton of work 
um, Dave Eubanks around the open. Curtis with drug testing. Okay. Um, who is the core games team now? Well, me, Justin, Dave is very critical to, uh, to what's going on. And there's a handful of other people who have smaller roles, but, um, that's all kind of yeah. comes together to support it. Okay. So talked about a lot of these changes in the qualifications. I want to talk a little bit just about the 2019 game. So now okay. that you went through the whole season, you were there at the games, you saw how it all played out. What were some of your reflections after the 2019 games? I was happy. I was very happy at the games. I, I liked the first workout. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I thought that was awesome. A lot of people didn't awesome. like the first workout, <laughs> even internally. I, uh, I thought it was a great first workout. It's a great wake-up call. Like, hey, you get to play with the big boys. Yeah. Play with the big boys. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you get it. Now you have to, uh, now you have to step up. You yeah. want to be at the games? You, you're at the games. Welcome to the games. And, and that's what I really liked about it. Um, the cuts. The cuts were cool. You know, the, that wasn't the first time we had cuts. We've had cuts multiple years. Early on, we had a lot of cuts. Then we kind of went away from the cuts. And we're back at the cuts. The timing of the cuts really was controversial, but I was okay with it. And you know what's interesting about everyone who did get cut? You never, you know, even the sprint. You didn't get cut because of that. Right. You got cut because of that and performance in other events that kept you down and low. And, you know, Matt had a horrible sprint. But, again, he had done very well on everything else, so he had enough points to advance. The right people advanced. Um, Then some of the workouts, then having such a small field for the next two days, a couple days, allowed us a lot of flexibility and a lot of um, freedom to do cool things like that that, uh, clean event. That was awesome. So Mm -hmm. that format couldn't be done with – 20 men and 20 women that format couldn't be done with more than than 10 it could you actually let me rephrase that it could you just be there all night (laughs) you just be there all day (laughs) it would be a longer day yeah. yeah exactly so that format worked great and that's something you can do when you have 10 and 10 some of the other tests and events we had same same concept you couldn't do things like that and that's why i was excited about the format it's like okay now we get to have some fun with uh with scheduling with testing with with all of it and, you know, we're going to continue to have cuts this year again. So it'll be, uh, there'll be a lot of controversy around that too. Of course. Do you think looking back on the cuts, I know there was especially a lot of controversy about that cut right after the sprint and people saying that the tests before that sprint and leading up to that sprint were not well-rounded mm-hmm. before, like not having a heavy, you know, have, waiting for the clean until after that cut to balance things. What are your, th- what do you say to that? I mean, the first test was heavy. Yeah. You needed to be strong. There is, there was that you needed to be strong to do well on that first test. It wasn't your typical, um, you needed to be strong and well-rounded. Let's put it that way. And that's the kind of strength we're looking for. We're not looking for, um, someone, we're not looking for the strongest. We're looking for the fittest and you're going to express that strength. Well, uh, at high heart rate in a limited number of tests, let's say you have four or five tests, I want to try to capture a lot of um, fitness and less of specialty. Yes. And so in four or five tests, there's not going to be as many isolated things like isolated strength tests, for example. Now, the other point to that, let's talk logistically. It's really hard to test strength yeah. amongst, you know, a couple hundred people, people yeah. down to 50. The tests that we did do, 
and that we did give them, I thought were completely fair. And, you know, people, the sprint was definitely a curveball. Some people were prepared for it, prepared for it and others weren't, but I don't have, I didn't have any issue with it at all. Um, what was it like for you to have all the country champions there or to have, I mean, obviously it was that first event that was sort of the huge differentiator, but how do you think that that went? That was really cool. It was yeah. neat to have them there, the representation. It was definitely a change from, you know, the the games in the past were very, I'll say, elite and had the best in the world there. Now they're inclusive. And uh, they necessarily have some athletes that aren't the best in the world there. And that's the direction it's going. We're taking it. And that's fine. So it's a little shift in focus or priority, but that's okay. And um, they were... They were all very gracious, and it was cool to see them there and all the country flags, and it was fun. Yeah. Um, talking about programming a little bit. So you write about, obviously, in your book, you go through a lot of your process for programming, and you talked about, and when you were down in San Diego, you had a specific dedicated space mm -hmm. where you would go, and that was kind of your creative space. Um do you have something like that up here? The ranch. The ranch. Yeah. And uh, not it's that dedicated space in, in uh, San Diego was great. Mm -hmm. And especially for that environment down there, it um, being able to separate, being able to, okay, I did my training work at home and then I drive five minutes over to this office, um, this facility where I had whiteboards and I'd be able to, you know, just focus on the creative side was huge. And it was a... Um, it helped me a lot in programming the games. I've kind of replicated that, not as clean, let's say, not as efficiently <laughs> yeah. at the ranch and in my house again. So um, I'd love to, I'd love to have a dedicated facility like that at the ranch, but just like where we don't do anything else. But I don't. So right. it's hard to separate. There's a lot that happens at the ranch. Yeah, That's there's true. something about the book. You know, that it was interesting. Someone um, in HQ said, "Oh, did you go to one of those writing?" write a book in a weekend clinics and just write it in a weekend. <laughs> and I was like, well, you obviously haven't read it because <laughs> yeah, <you would> uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time on that yeah. book. And one of the things that I wanted to do on that book was um, write it myself. A lot of people write books and they have, you know, other people write them for them. And so the format I did, I like to say it's pretty easy. It was basically just um, entries every day. I'd write something in it about what I did that day it was still hard. The, uh, the The way I chose to do it, I say, is easy, but writing the book was still a lot of work and hard. It was also really good that year. It, it helped me in those games. It helped my creative process. It helped me even organize how I do things. I've thought about doing it again. I, I don't know if I'm going to. I thought about doing it this year. I'm not going to this year, but... I might, but it was also, I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy that I did that. It was rewarding. Um, the process was, it taught a lot. Um, taught me a lot about myself. I thought about writing other, and now other books too, but yeah. I don't know if I'm going to. And you read a lot too. I think last time you were on, I was asking you about books you were reading. It anything that you've read recently that has been really great, or any new genres that you've gotten into? I do read a lot. I read uh, 50 books last year, wow. and um, right now I'm reading a book on Churchill, which is really interesting. A biography, which is really interesting. I'm enjoying it. It's taking a little longer than I'd like. It's it's almost a thousand pages. Generally, I tr um, I read first thing in the morning. Okay. Anywhere from ten minutes to an hour and a half, depending on what I have going on that day. And then I'll read at uh, random intervals throughout the day. And then I'll read at night. 
And reading in the morning is great because it kind of just warms everything up and gets you prepared for the day. But it's so, because I read so much now, some people have trouble reading and sitting down and doing that. It's so easy for me to read. And I'm not a fast reader. I'm just able to read um, anytime I want. I, I have the hard copy of the book. I like reading hard copy. And I almost always download the digital version on my okay. phone. So I'll finish reading the hard copy and I'll look where I'm at. Then I'll find the um, place on yeah, the digital version to mark, to mark it. And so if I'm out, if I'm somewhere waiting for something, yeah. I'll just pick up my phone and start reading. And that helps me get That's through. That's really smart. So with this book, I'm trying to do, I was trying to do 50 pages a day. This book's really dense in, in, in number of words per page. So I was maintaining that for a while. I've been kind of busy the past week, so kind of fell off. I should be finished with the, the book in the next couple of days. But generally speaking, what I try to do is a book a week. Um, sometimes I hit that, sometimes I don't, depending on how busy I am with, with other work stuff. I'm enjoying this book. Um, All the Pretty Horses... It was a recent the book I read before this. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I enjoy. I read a lot of classics last year, um, American classics. I, um, Old Man in the Sea, a lot of Hemingway. Um, wow. There's a. I wrote. Let me see. You have a list. Probably. I have a list. <laughs> that is so impressive to me. <laughs> The Great Gatsby, really enjoyed that. <laughs> Catcher in the Rye, Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Old Man and Seed, Kill a Mockingbird, Lord of the Flies. Oh, that was one of my favorites. Scarlet ones. Letter, Walden, The Crucible. I mean, I could keep going down. There's just like books like that. And yeah. I just enjoy, um, I enjoy the escapism of it. I enjoy just disconnecting and not, not dealing with CrossFit or work or other things and just, just getting out there and, and uh, it's been really good for me. I basically started around that time with this hard dive into reading, you know, five years ago, around yeah. 2015. And, and uh, it, it'll never leave me at this point. It's just part of my routine, part of my life. And, uh, and that's a really good thing to have that yes. routine as part of your life. People prioritize working out in their life, but not a lot of people prioritize something like reading. Reading or learning. Yeah. Yep. It's very true. Very true. Um. I'm jumping all around, but back to programming. What is your process? I, in the book, you talk about, obviously, you had all these different things. You had the open and the regionals and the games. So you're basically doing things in sequence. And once regionals are all sort of set and in motion, then you really dive, dive into the games. But now that, especially now that we just had the open in October, now there's all this time before the game. So are you approaching things any differently for this year's games? Well, so I'm goes. definitely thinking about the games and working on the games much earlier than I did in years past. Because typically at this time during regionals, I'd be into regional programming. Yeah. Um, maybe even just finishing up the Open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be, you know, it should be done months before this. But sometimes I, I push the limits on when things get turned in on workout in terms of events and tests. Uh, but now it's just, just focus on the games. And I have some events down. I have some big picture ideas down. Um, but in the next few weeks, it'll start really coming together and diving in too harder. But and that's it, still really early. <laughs> it is very yeah. early. It is very, But I mean, there was after last year's game, and this is, the true, this is true about every year's game. As soon as the games are over um, last year, I have two or three events thought of for the next, for the next year. year yep just based on how things went and seeing the venue yep. and yep mm-hmm. sometimes my most creative time in events is moments after the uh the games 
that year. How have you liked the move to Madison? And now we're going into our fourth year there. So obviously you've had some time to see the events evolve over those last I'm few years. I'm very happy with Madison. Madison's mm-hmm. been a great city. It's been a, it's a great location. The venue is uh, perfect for what we need to do. There could be a couple of things, like a nice, a big field kind of like we had at um, yeah. Carson. That would be a dedicated field like that. That would be better. But we make it work. Um, really happy with the city, the facilities. I think the fans like it. I think yeah. the athletes like it. It's a great experience. It's yeah. nice to go into a small town like that. They might think of, not think of themselves as a small town, but it's nice to go into a place like that where um, basically the whole weekend and the whole city is branded and about CrossFit and about the athletes and about the community. So you would never have that in L.A. Because L.A. is just so big. Right. There were so many other big events going on even the same weekend. Yep, exactly. You can get lost in it. Um, you also said in your book that you recognize that you are a polarizing figure in CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's probably a number of a specific events I could point to, and uh-huh. there's a number of things I do. Well, And here's – let's take a more recent reason why. Um, I'm an avid shooter, and and I um, sometimes post about my guns, and sometimes I, I hunt now too, and sometimes I'll post about that. and some people are um, triggered by that yeah. and, and some people don't agree with that. Um, that's fine. Don't agree with it. Uh, but, you know, you don't like so if there's people who are anti-gun, you don't find me on their sites saying, hey, don't post that you're anti-gun. Right, that's, you know what I mean? That's right, your own that's, prerogative. Yeah, and that's yeah. your own decision. And the fact that I do is uh, don't come over to my site and tell me what to post and what not to post because because uh, you don't agree with my uh, support of it or my take on it i think it's ridiculous that we can't have conversations about this stuff and i think it's ridiculous that people can't post things they support and want to do without getting like uh, a personal attack without getting attacked or there's this whole cancel culture going on where you know people uh boycott um comedians and artists for for supporting views that are different than theirs that's the problem like we're all going to have different views and that's okay i wish it was okay that we could talk about politics religion guns and all this stuff we but we can't because people get so um angry over some of this stuff and again i have different views than a lot of people on a lot of those things and that's perfectly fine and they can have different views but it doesn't give you the right to tell me that i'm wrong and i shouldn't be doing that because i don't have the same views as you Mm -hmm. say that privately say that to me privately but don't come attack me on my page or uh, or wherever about that that's but that's also not the only reason why I'm polarizing I I've, I've been polarizing because of um you know I'm in a position where I have to make a lot of hard decisions and sometimes decisions are um not everybody's have consequences yeah, yeah. and uh and sometimes people get upset over them and sometimes you know athletes get mad at me because they don't like things an athlete just the other day posted something about uh said I yelled at her and she uh she didn't agree with she doesn't agree with some of the way we do things and you know athletes get mad at me a lot and they have they have um followings and they have their fans and so their fans get mad at me i've been at other events where i speak my mind and i'm opinionated and and sometimes people struggle with being called out uh i think i'm very fair and i think i hold myself to a high standard so i think if i'm uh saying something or or um 
calling someone out, I think it's usually fair and appropriate. And that's easy to say from my perspective. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I think I appreciate that how you like you said, you don't necessarily hold back. Like you're, you do think about what you say first and you put it out there, but you're not afraid to like, Oh, I'm going to offend someone. So I shouldn't say this or I shouldn't put it out there because we don't, I think there's not enough people who are doing that. This is not a, uh, for me, this is not a popularity contest. I'm not in this to gain friends. I'm not in this to, um, make people like me. I'm not in this for likes. I'm in this to do a job and I'm in this to do this to do this job effectively and very and to do the job well and I hold myself to a high standard and sometimes doing the job well and holding yourself to a high standard isn't the popular way to go isn't the popular approach and and that's okay and you know what I'm going to make decisions and whenever you're in a leadership role anyone who's in a leadership role you're going to make decisions you should make decisions you should do things that aren't popular but oftentimes they're the right thing and uh, and that's tough some people struggle with doing with making those decisions because they know people aren't going to agree with them Mm -hmm. and I think it was cool to see in your book too how um you are very like you do hold yourself to a very high standard like you would make comments about oh things that like you wish it was just the end of the day and you're writing a reflection and oh things didn't go well this today or I'm going to do this differently tomorrow and you're a normal human like every other person. But to see you comment on that, I think was very refreshing. Or I think you even you commented about one, like you made a post about a workout and you post the workout wrong and you were like beating yourself up for it in the book, which, which is like something that everyone does. I um, hold myself to a really high. Here, let me back up. even. Yeah. I hold people to a really high standard. Yeah. And you can't hold people to a really high standard if you don't hold yourself, yourself to a really mm-hmm. high standard. And that's really important. And, and arguably, I hold myself to a much higher standard than I hold a lot of people to. And holding people to a high standard, that's tough. I mean, you, yeah. you, you sometimes hurt feelings. You sometimes people get upset. But um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't be any other way. And a lot of that came from uh, my time in the military, obviously, being, being in the Navy. Um, people held us to a very high standard. And rightfully so we should be held to a high standard and so that's carried over and it's made people it's you know i'm demanding of people um it's probably ruined some relationships but it it is the way it is now to go back to um hold so holding myself to a high standard yeah i'm my biggest critic i will critique my workouts tests events critique my performances, critique everything I do. And not with a pot, like you did great, Dave. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, that's, <laughs> why'd you do that? Right. Or, oh, this could be better. Right. But they're all, what's good about that is they're all learning opportunities. They're all potential points to make myself better or to make other people better because I learned from it. And here's, here's what I learned. So here's something you can learn from that. Mm-hmm. And it really elevates everyone around you, right? When you hold people, you, it's like you're holding this carrot out in front of people. You're, you're helping them to be better than they are. Absolutely. I don't try to, and I'm not, especially with my social media, I don't try to preach. I don't try to motivate people. I don't try to tell people how to conduct themselves, how to live, conquer your day, do this, do that. That's not my... I can't see Dave posting like an inspirational quote. (laughs) No, I don't do that. But but if you want to be inspired by... let my actions inspire you, not my words. And that's how I feel strongly about it. Let, let how I hold myself, what I do, how I conduct myself in business, let that be your, if you want to choose me to be inspired by, which I don't care if you do or don't, not you, but that you. Um, <laughs> let how I 
conduct myself, yeah. be your inspiration. Let my actions inspire you, not my words. And I feel pretty strongly about that. I love that. In our last conversation, you had said, you, you were talking about the games team in particular, and you had said, you know, I like to believe that we as a team are capable of more than we as a team think we are. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's just what you were talking about. But I think you do that also for the entire CrossFit community. And if you think about even the programming that you've put out for the opens, for the regionals, for the games, like you're constantly helping people to do things that they don't think they're capable of doing. And then you're showing them, hey, you can do this. <laughs> Especially with the Open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's been really cool and fun and challenging to find those things like, okay, what, what's going to push the community this year? What? And it's not every event or test. I keep saying event or test, and I want to clarify. I yeah. clarify this with my team all the time. They're, never, they're not workouts. You work out in your gym. You, you work out um, at home. But at the games and in my eyes, even in the open, but at the games and in the open, those are tests and those are events. Yeah. You train for those, you work out for those, but when you do those, that's your, that, you don't ever hear a 100 meter dash runner or a marathon runner or a, um, I'm gonna a, go do a, a at the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not going to work out. They're going to do a test. Yeah. They're going to do a challenge. They're going to do their event. Yeah. And so, um. I got someone on my team the other day about that. They sent me the age group qualifiers and they labeled them workout one, workout two, workout. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, these aren't workouts. These are, te <laughs> call them tests or events, E1, E2, but they're not, they're, they're not, not workouts. workouts. Right. I feel strongly about that. And sometimes I even still in conversation yeah. mix that up. On that note too, I, I don't know if I talked about this on yours, but I can't stand when people um, talk about the athletes talk about their sport and say oh i work out for a living or mm. oh i uh, you're just degrading it, demeaning it just uh devaluing it or i exercise for time and all that stuff no you don't if you're competing this is your sport yeah. and again like those examples runners running is a workout uh weightlifting is a workout those but those guys don't say i work out for time no right. they say i'm a runner right. or i'm a weightlifter and they're proud of that because they're competing in it and same thing with crossfit it's a legitimate sport. It's a real sport. And um, you, the athletes, especially, this is to all the athletes, you should be proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it has been cool to see the community come so far and in, in, in pushing them every year with the Open or putting those carrots out in front of people and helping them realize the things that they really are capable of because so much of it is really what happens between the ears. And interestingly, you'll, you'll hear oftentimes, people always say how some of those are the toughest workouts they test they do, but um, workouts, um, it's because they, A, they might not practice some of that stuff in their box, or B, I think a lot of the intensity sometimes has been lost in, uh, in application. I think some people aren't going as hard as they need to, and then in that environment, you're really going hard because it's the ultimate test. What What preserves the intensity and continues to um, solidify the um, importance of intensity is benchmarks. And even, I don't even mean our benchmarks. I just mean benchmarks in general. In general. Cr create a workout and revisit it. Revisit it in two weeks. Sometimes people don't revisit workouts often enough. Um, sometimes I'll do workouts a couple days later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, weird. I'm, I'm yeah. on the other end of that. I'll do a workout and then I'll be like, okay, uh, I want to improve the score. Let me try it a few days later. Yeah. 
Well, let's think about like the open. People do that. They improve their score by a whole, whole lot at, over the course of a weekend. I've never been against repeating open workouts. And I, I don't know why some athletes, it, it's less now, but before some athletes were like, oh, just one and done. And people wear that with such pride. And I'm like, hey, I'm way down on the leaderboard, but I, I want to try to improve by four or five points. There's yeah. been years where during, not this year, but during that um phase i've basically only done i only did the open workouts yeah. for my training uh-huh. and i do uh three them three or four times yeah but there's something that you learn every time yeah, right? yeah exactly so you, can, you can always try to improve it's very true um what is your fitness like these days i know you said you were you were <laughs> running a lot or you're focusing on running but how i mean you've been doing crossfit for how long now since uh 15 years okay so 15 years obviously yeah. you're probably your own fitness routine has changed a little bit over those 15 years. Yes. So where are you at now? I'm pretty fit. I'm not as fit as I've ever been. Um, in a happy place with it though. I'm not trying to be the strongest I can be. I used to, um, I used to always be able to, on demand, basically be able to deadlift over 400. And that was something I was, I always wanted to have. I don't have that right now. I've deadlifted recently and I'm like, okay, I can't hit 400 and I'm totally okay with that. Um, I don't, there's a lot of things I don't do. I don't squat snatch a lot. I don't squat clean a lot. Um, uh, it's not the most well-rounded program because I program for myself, <laughs> but I really enjoy it yeah. and I'm really happy. I want to work on my handstand pushups. So I do handstand pushups a lot. Yeah. Um, the past year I was training for this competition a shooting and rucking competition. Okay. So I rucked a lot from rucking. I also, uh, I'm a, I've always been a good runner, but it helped my running a lot. So recently I've been running a little, I haven't been running more, but when I run, I do a three mile run and I'm trying to break 20 minutes. Cause I probably, I haven't been in the 19s on a three mile run since I was in my twenties. So, um, I'm going to break 19 or break 20 soon. And that'll be an achievement for That's me. Cool. Um, so I'm not as strong as I've been before. I'm leaner. I cut carbs uh, pretty hardcore recently, and I've been um, training a lot. Just my engine, and and I I I'm fine with that. I'm I'm okay with not being as strong, not being as well rounded. For me, I'm in a good place with it. It it's one of those things though. I could never see myself not doing this. So I'm in a good place with it. I don't train. I don't go in the gym obviously for multiple <laughs> hours a day. I spend you know 30 minutes to an hour in the gym and. I get done what I need to do. I'm okay with, but it is, I don't skip workouts. I really make sure I hold myself accountable and and try to work out on a very regular basis. And do you, what is that for you? Is that three on one off? Is that a certain number of days Pretty much three on one off, uh, unless I'm traveling and things have to adjust. Almost never go four. Um, Even if I feel good, I stay to that three on one off. I do get sore and it mm. lingers much longer now than it has in the <laughs> yeah. past. So I've had to make adjustments for that. My legs definitely get sore and stay sore longer than in the past nowadays. So, um, but it's, uh, I'm in a happy place with it. That's good. Do you work out mainly in your garage still? Or are you working out at the ranch or? Uh, uh, mostly in my garage. And sometimes I'll go to the ranch to do the ruck runs or to do the, um, sometimes run just okay. straight runs. But, um, primarily in my garage. I have a nice setup there. I like it. Last time you were on, I asked you about sort of your daily routine when you're at home. Now it sounds like you're in a much better routine because you're just not traveling. So what does your average day look like now? So I'll wake up around 530 to six and uh, read anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, depending on what's going on on that day. Um, Eat breakfast, sometimes take the kids to school. 
uh, sometimes not. And then do some work. I'll get on the computer and, and put in a good hour or two session of uh, CrossFit related work, mainly scheduling and staffing with the seminars. And then from there, I'll go to the ranch and feed the animals. Oh, you have animals on there. I have animals now. We have a couple pigs. Okay. I feed those. <laughs> and I have a mule. The mule's been super cool. Uh-huh. I love that guy. Uh, <laughs> and I feed him. And then I'll take him for a big walk. Okay. And um, take him for a nice walk around the ranch. I want to get a horse now, too. I'm yeah. looking at getting a quarter horse. What was the What was the reason for getting the mule and the pigs? So the pigs, my daughter wanted a pet pig. Okay. <laughs> so I got the pigs for that reason. The mule is to pack things. And okay. so there's some parts of the ranch. Did you ever run? at the ranch um i've just gone out for you know when we were at training training events the back side of the the ranch is really steep and inaccessible and uh, i've shot pigs at the ranch that have gone down there and have been really hard to get out okay so i'm going to use the mules to help me pack pigs out and i want to repair the back side of the fence um and I'm going to put the, all the gear on the mule and hike him up there and do it. And that's cool. I'm just really excited yeah, about him. And it's been really, really cool. fun. Does he have a name? Hodar. Hodar. He came named. Okay. I didn't name him. Okay. It's a Game of Thrones character, okay. actually. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, but he's been great. And then after that, I'll shoot, um, at, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Interestingly enough, so I don't shoot for recreation. I don't shoot for fun. I don't shoot to clear my mind. I'm shooting for three reasons. I shoot to train. I shoot to compete and I shoot to uh, hunt. And so like you see a lot of people, they'll go to the range and they'll bring all their guns and they'll be with their buddies and they'll have a good time firing off rounds. That's the worst to me. I hate that. I don't like going shooting with friends unless it's at a competition. That's different because that's shooting to compete. But uh, when I shoot, it's, uh, it's I'm by myself and I'm putting in work. I'm trying to make something better. I never go to the range just to throw throw down rounds. It's very intentional for me. And, uh, and that's, that's the process, um, that I enjoy. I don't, that's, and I, I, I don't want to say I judge people who just go shoot and <laughs> just hang out with their buddies and drink beer. But it's not something that you enjoy doing. <sighs> that's not something I enjoy doing. Okay. And, uh, and you know, it's interesting cause, so I've been shooting my whole life now. And when I was in the Navy, shooting was a very big part of that, obviously. And even then I was like, yeah, it was all training. It was all work. It was all, um, there was a deliberate purpose to it. And that's how I view it now. And when you step back and think about it, that's how most things I'm doing have a very deliberate purpose. The reading, the shooting, CrossFit work. The mule. The mule. Very (laughs) deliberate purpose. Yes. Yes. Okay. So after the shooting. And then so after shooting, it's usually around lunchtime. I'll come back, do some more work, um, do some calls. Then usually in the evening, come back maybe one more time to the ranch, feed the animals. And, um, pick the kids up from school maybe. So I have a very, um, dynamic routine, meaning things are going to happen. Those things are going to happen, but the timing with which they happen varies depending on what I have scheduled calls or if I'm taking the kids to school or not. But, and that's, and so, so I really enjoy what I'm doing now and how it's, um, going down and this schedule and this life. Why would I travel to Miami to see a bunch of CrossFitters and see a bunch of CrossFitters working out at an event that I'm not overall responsible for. I won't, I wouldn't do it. I'm going to stay home and enjoy doing the thing, work on the CrossFit stuff and enjoy doing what I do. I love that. Um, we're almost ready to wrap up, but I have one more question before we get to the last part is just in general about CrossFit health. So I've seen you 
at most of these MDL ones that we've done, as well as the DDCs, which are the kind of continuing ed conferences that happen at the same time. What is your, and I, I mean, you've seen the growth of the CrossFit Health classes here where they're mm-hmm. training sort of special populations. What is your perspective of the CrossFit Health movement or what do you think, what is the role of that in CrossFit as a whole? Interestingly, it's always been that. Yeah. Meaning like, you know, I've worked for CrossFit since 2006, five, six, and uh, six. And it was always health. It was always CrossFit health without it having to be you stated <laughs> as CrossFit health. We were going to, le- we were teaching level ones all around the world and yeah. we're not teaching to games athletes. We're not teaching to elite people. Right. And the same thing happening in the gyms. It, you know, this has always been going on. Um, you know, for people who came, came into this late in the last four or five years, I could see them uh, saying, oh, it's so games focused and, and seeing some of the media we're making and, and it needs to change and, and taking in, take it in this different direction. But, but it was never, these things all existed. Yeah. There, we were focused on health and there was also a big, big, big competition scene. And there was, there was the event. Uh, now we've just, we've just taken away a lot of the media we've made on the games and so now on our side we're just showing basically not showing that at all and just showing all the health stuff that has been going on the entire time in the community and now we have these classes which are super cool but um i don't think it's like yeah this is just business as usual and it's always been about it's always been about changing people's lives it didn't matter who those people were it could be fit people it could be uh non-fit people overweight people people who need it more than others but it's always been that to me. That's what it's always been about. Yep. So true. Um, okay. So I asked these three questions last time on the podcast, but I thought I would ask them again because okay. a lot changes in four years. <laughs> and I didn't watch the podcast, so I don't remember. Okay. Perfect. So we'll <laughs> see. So first question is, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Okay. Um, reading, for sure. I believe working out and eating right. That's the, and you know, the eating thing is, is very important. Yeah. And so, um, those have the most positive impact on my physical and mental state of being. Yeah. You said you've cut carbs a lot recently. What is your general approach to eating now? I don't follow any, uh, dogmatic prescription. Yes. Or <laughs> I just, You're not keto and Yeah. Fasting. I don't like giving any of those names <laughs> and it's crazy where those names end up yeah. and how people use them yeah. and label things. And Joe was talking about it yesterday with paleo pancakes and, and it is wild how people start capitalizing off those names to sell their product. Um, you know, this morning I had a, my wife made me a couple, um, couple eggs with some tomatoes and some avocado and, that and that's delicious. a breakfast. Yeah. And, uh, there was a period, interestingly, I stopped drinking for about three months. And when I stopped drinking, of course, I started eating a little more carbs. And uh, I'm back to drinking again. <laughs> but I'm not eating carbs. Okay. It's <laughs> but, all a balance. But yeah, I'm um, <laughs> having a glass of whiskey, a glass or two of whiskey every evening. and uh, but, but I'm completely pretty much cut out refined carbohydrates, um, processed carbs, breads. And I definitely noticed a, a change in my weight mm-hmm. and... Um, I haven't stepped on a scale in about two and a half years. Oh. My, uh, there was a period where I was stepping on a scale every morning and I was, I was very, because um, I get into things. Yeah. And my wife was said, hey, you're obsessed with the scale. I'm yeah. like, no, I'm not. She's like, yes, you are. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm going to show you I'm not. Yeah. And I didn't, I s- stopped stepping on a scale and I haven't in about two, 
two and a half years. Except, uh, the, I mean, to be completely honest, yeah, when I go to a doctor's office, sure, yeah. they have you step. You guys yeah. have a step on scales. So. <laughs> you don't have to always look at what I don't look. Yeah. I look away. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But I think right now I'm probably low 180s. Okay. Um, what is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it? Well, not drinking. I think. So how was that time? You said it was a few months you went without Yeah, drinking? but then when I wasn't drinking, I didn't eat. I did eat a little more carbs. Okay. So, so that would have a big impact, not drinking and not eating carbs <laughs> to combine those two. But it, um, I enjoy having a glass of whiskey or having a glass of wine. So it's, it's something I'm not going to, uh dive into you actually and the truth is around the games i'll i'll usually cut both yeah. so about a month before the games i did that last year i do that most years i don't drink through the games um i'll drink after the games and that's pretty important to me for my just like discipline yeah and being in my mind well prepared i'd hate for something to go wrong and it turns out as i mean it wouldn't correlation not causation right but I was drinking the night before and yeah, yeah. something happened the next day. Makes sense. Makes sense. What does a healthy life look like to you? It's so different per individual. I mean, it's in, that's the truth with so, so many of these things. What's the perfect programming? What's the perfect food? There's guidelines. There's directions to go, but it depends. It depends on where you're at in life, what you're doing, what phase, how it just, for me, it's what I'm doing right now. It's my little routine, walking the mule, mm-hmm. <laughs> reading Sounds in great. the morning, working <laughs> out. Um, Did you ever think when you were like in your 20s that this is what you would love to be doing? No, no. And now <laughs> I want, like I said earlier, I want a horse now. I want to ride a horse around my property. So, but I had horses growing up, growing up on the ranch. Wonderful. Well, this has been great. Thank you, Dave, so much. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. It's always great to get a little bit better understanding of what goes on inside your brain. And so thank you for sharing with everyone. Thanks a lot. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. It was really great to catch up with Dave and hear from his perspective about some of the changes that have happened within CrossFit and the CrossFit Games over the past year or two, as well as how his approach to life and his role as Games Director have changed and evolved into what they are today. Here are some of my biggest takeaways from our conversation. Number one was about being okay with change and keeping things in perspective. So as Dave says in the podcast, a lot of the changes that happened within the games format recently were not necessarily under his control or by his choice. And he reflects on how change can be difficult for everyone, but it is a part of life. I think it's so easy for all of us to get wrapped up in the negative or the uncertainty when something changes or is different, but keeping the big picture in perspective and being grateful for all the things that we do have and what growth the change will bring for us is very important. A second takeaway was about the power of having an escape that also helps our mind to grow. I love that Dave talked about how reading has become such a big part of his life and what this habit has done for him. He references reading as an escape from reality, and I think that there's a lot of benefit to finding something like that that allows all of us to escape from our day-to-day grind. And so often we're drawn into distractions such as social media or TV or even video games, which are in some ways an escape, but maybe don't facilitate the same intellectual growth as an activity like reading. So it was really cool to hear Dave talk about all the classic novels that he's read recently and how much reading has become an essential part of his life. My third takeaway was about being unapologetically you. So Dave talked about how some of the things he says or posts on social media can be very polarizing and his frustration with our society today that 
We're not able to have real conversations without upsetting people who don't agree with your views. I like how he's been able to let some of the negative comments go and continue to be himself and post about the things he cares about and being okay with the fact that not everyone is going to agree with him. I think the more that we all hold back on talking about things that are really important to us because we're worried about what other people might think, we're just going to make this problem a bigger and bigger one in the future. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dave and I hope you had some great takeaways yourself. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. Pursuing Health.